action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Josh Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We are continuing our celebration of 21st century horror as we move on to Let the Right One In, directed by Thomas Alfredson. And this time, we have a guest. Please welcome to the podcast, Keir Kemp. Keir, how are you doing? I'm all right, mate. How are you? We are... Very well. Thanks for coming on. You are primarily known as a musician. You were formerly in Fearless Vampire Killers and now you go by the name Inklins. Is Inklins a band or is it you and then session musicians? What's the setup there? Uh, Yeah, it is me. So it's just kind of like I didn't want to do that kind of like singer leaves band and then does like really naff sort of solo project thing. So uh, that is exactly what I've done. But um, I thought giving it a name would at least make it so that uh, so that it didn't sound like it was a, it was a, it was a solo project. Yeah, yeah Robbie Williams is like that. So yeah, that that is that is essentially what I've done. But um, hoping that to to disguise it. You entered the music industry, or, or Fearless Vampire Killers sort of started to get known just around the time that streaming seemed to be really coming into the fore in the music industry so talking you know this is the 21st century horror series i think one of the biggest horror things at the moment is the state of the music industry so how have you Hmm. managed to forge out a music career when Hmm. basically the music industry is on its ass well i often say that um fek was the worst timed band in history (laughs) Um, because for several reasons, one of them being exactly what you just said, the music industry itself, it's just like, um, we came just after, you know, the end of the nineties when everyone was still taking loads of cocaine and sort of (laughs) spending all that money that they were earning, um, to... They were farting money back in the day. It was ridiculous. I know. They were, they were rolling in it to, yeah, streaming, taking over an artist basically not getting paid anymore um there was that and then there was the element of us stylistically we were quite emo and that had just gone out of fashion (laughs) um never goes out of fashion yeah we were also called fearless vampire killers and despite the fact that we were named after the polanski film i guess is a bit a bit relevant for this podcast um That film, Lesbian Vampire Killers, had just oh. come out. Twilight had just hit. Oh, so God, vampires yes. were going through a very, very bad like <laughs> PR time for <laughs> PR. When it came to the... So, um, so yeah, uh, it, we were very poorly timed. Um, just, I think we only got anywhere because of the uh, sheer work ethic, really. Um, and I guess in answer to your last question, how do you survive? How do you forge a career as a musician now? Really, it's... Uh, you've got to be a branding expert. So uh, I kind of went into marketing as well. So <laughs> out off the back of a lot that I learned from being in a band. And you've got to really form, even if you're going for pop, you've got to form a cult following because that's how you uh, monetize things. Basically, it sounds awful, but like you're not going to make money through music anymore. You just might as well come to terms with that. And as long as you're okay with that, you can then look to other things like merchandise and things like that. 
um, we made our own social network back in like 2014, um, which was like a subscription-based thing, and that's how we managed to keep afloat and pay for the tours because it's a pretty expensive mm. <laughs> hobby. But yeah, I could talk all day about that. But yeah, so yeah, I think you've got to be innovative and you've just got to build a do something that gets people that people care enough about to want to invest in. So it's almost like the music is is secondary. It's almost it's almost like the dessert to the main meal and the main meal being the community. Is that what you're saying? Oh, I'm kind of, I, I think what I'm saying is music is the great music is the minimum entry requirement. So you just got to be great. Everyone's got to be great in order mm. to even start playing on the, on the pitch. But then beyond that, you've got to also, like I say, be a branding expert, kind of be able to build a community, create a world around you that people can get invested in and I think that's what we did really well at least because we had like concepts around the albums and we wrote novels and we had an incredible artist in Shane he's now like working on Netflix films and things like that in um in the VFX industry like we had a lot of strings to our bow and I think that's what people bought into um so that's definitely that's, what yeah, I bought into so, yeah it's not like the music's the afterthought it's still really important but mm. it's just so much harder now whereas back in the day all you needed to be, like, I don't know, when Oasis was about or something, is just be a gobby Mancunian and have some great <laughs> songs. I mean, F Oasis, like, amazing songs, right? But they weren't, like, businessmen. They didn't have to be. <laughs> they yeah. just got yeah. lucky. They got picked up by a label, and that's how they ended up being as successful well, that was, as that's they were. How it, now that's how it was. That was the old school, wasn't it? That was it. But that's so, what I bought into, all the concepts around the Fearless Vampire Killer albums, all the, the sort of steampunk and the stories. That's what really hooked me. And I, I, I didn't mind the emo thing. I'm a big My Chemical Romance fan. And mm. while they were off disappearing for a bit before they did Danger Days, I guess that's where you guys were able to slip in and go, well, we'll cover that in, in the Kerrang! magazine and, and that kind of world. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was one good thing, I guess. Like James, the editor at the time, had a lot of had a lot of time for how bonkers we were. But again, mm. it was poorly timed because it was a time in the <laughs> British music industry where, but it's different now. But back in sort of the early two thousand and tens, where um, whatever they call those now, I don't know what they call those now. <laughs> the noughties. The noughties is the first one. Is there one after not? God knows. Yeah. Um, but oh, the teens. Uh, yeah, teenies or something awful. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a time that British music was going very conservative um, mm. because of the what was happening. I think it was influenced by the way that music was being, sh like the, the, the money bleeding out worried everyone, <laughs> including the industry, and bands started writing what they thought the industry wanted to hear, which was super middle-of-the-road pop songs. Um, and from rock bands, that's not what you want. So we stuck out like a sore thumb because we weren't, we were writing these kind of weird emo metal prog songs. <laughs> and uh, the rest of the uh, rest of the scene was very much creating palatable middle of the road stuff. None of those bands have actually done well. They've not, mm. you know, they're not going <laughs> to last in the history books, but they were the ones that were getting the record deals at the time. Is storytelling something that's always been part of what you've done? You know, like you said, those Fearless Vampire Killer songs were prog songs. There was always a very strong story to them. 
yeah 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 i know like i think that a lot of that was influenced by lawrence really as well well all of us actually we all like we grew up together we were friends from like shane i knew from when i was three lawrence i'd met and drew when i was like 10 and we li- liked the same things me and lawrence used to watch like moulin rouge together at my house <laughs> um and like but stop it before the end because when team <laughs> dies i just couldn't handle it any time and i just like so i just watch the end, all the, the sort end. of like yeah i just watch all of the kind of gregarious like amazing stuff that baz Luhrmann did and then kind of stop um but yeah we so we liked all of that we liked the theatricality we liked bands like queen i was a massive my chemical romance fan as well i really liked the used emo was a big influence but yeah so we kind of fused that and then i don't know really whether the concept stuff just happened naturally it wasn't like we thought about it we were just like oh it'd be cool when we started writing songs. It's just sometimes easier to paint a picture if the Mm. story isn't real because you can paint a more interesting picture. depends what kind of band you are, right? We weren't political. If you're a political band, there's plenty of stuff you can get angry about, (laughs) especially now. (laughs) I think I could definitely do a political band now, but um, that was very much the sort of area that maybe bands like Enna Shikari were inhabiting, which were very much talking about things that were happening. And then we were writing about things that we'd sort of made up because it was more interesting to us than the than the real world. It wasn't going to be like, oh, you know, I grew up in Suffolk, had quite a nice childhood, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I have some good friends. <laughs> no, you're not going to do that. Where are in Suffolk? Um, I grew up in Beckles, it was called, so it's a ah, tiny town. I know I it, know. yeah. Yeah, do you know it? Oh, I grew weird. up in Bowes and Edmonds. Which really? Is okay, cool, yeah. Not too far yeah, away. Yeah. It's not yeah. too far, yeah. So Beckles is on the basically the border between Norfolk and Suffolk. Yeah, very yeah. pretty, quaint little town. Well, nice there must place, be something but... in the water then, because you went and did Fearless Vampire Killers and wrote songs about stories, and Josh was an author and writes mm-hmm. about witches and puppets and things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suffolk, you know, it's just a font of creativity. Yeah, it is. We we do talk about that sometimes though, because I've got especially even my school year like it was such a weird little town and and I've got so many of my friends have gone on to do amazing things it's kind of weird you think Hmm. it was sort of like you know you thought you'd think that that stuff only happened if you go to like Eton or something you got loads of money but we just went to some state school in 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 Suffolk um so John maybe it's like a motivator to like get out and do something exciting that isn't Suffolk based (laughs) yeah man I think it is 100% because like we I moved to London as soon as I was 18 so I didn't go Mm. to university don't regret it at all because I had some amazing experiences I'm still having some amazing experiences I've got a weird life um no uh but um but yeah, like, I think that's definitely it. I think you've hit the nail on the head when you're in a small place and you're in a small town. Um, you've definitely got that motivation to be like, is this it? Because so many people mm. stay. So yeah. many people are just like there. They leave school. They get an apprenticeship like as a plumber or something. They meet someone down the local pub. They get married. They have a kid. They just go through mm. the motions. They get divorced. They have another marriage. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can write so out cynical. the story. <laughs> I am a bit of a cynic. I'm sorry. But you know, like, I think that's one of my biggest fears, though. Seeing that, yeah. I was like, I can't. Like, I just that that is just that seems like hell to me. <laughs> so, yeah. I think I was just like, I don't care if I'm poor, and I have yeah. been and continue to be various degrees of poor throughout my life. But um, but I'm happy because I'm doing stuff that's interesting. You know, it's difficult to have the standard societal life, and I guess being a band, you can't just suddenly quit the life and 
go off on tour because a slot opens up. But being mm. on tour must be exhausting. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm actually writing a book at the moment. Um, and I kind of talk about that in there. Like, just the life of any sort of creative is tough. Whether you're, like, a writer, like a like a photographer, or like, like both of yourselves. Um, I think if you if you choose the path less traveled you're there's going to be a lot more obstacles because people don't want you to succeed ultimately like that's <laughs> like no, I, God, again no. it's kind of what i say in the book like we're set up to fail i mean look at that awful campaign that the government did around cyber like retrain in cyber yeah the whole yeah. thing it was that like was oh you've been about like you've dedicated your entire life to this amazing thing and you should just retrain because covid's here <laughs> for a year it's like yeah. that's the attitude like society has when it comes to creative so i think it's no wonder that a lot of us kind of don't see ourselves as viable um when it comes to like creativity as a career has that attitude ever reached you via people you thought were friends yeah absolutely actually i was talking to this i was talking to lawrence who was the other singer in fvk the other day and um he reminded me that a couple of my friends when we were when we were younger actually said you know we were like oh we're, we're not going to go to uni like we've got our a levels who we were like we're not going to go to uni we're going to go to london and we're going to try and be in a band and they were like worried like they weren't being horrible but they were just worried on our behalf and that was such a bizarre reaction they weren't happy for us really like like, <laughs> like now they are but like back then they were like oh like uh, you know that sounds really like are, are you sure you want to do that really you should go to university and make sure you get get a degree and blah 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 we were like, nah, we want to go and just get a job and try and make the band happen. And that was kind of the thing. And then, you know, the, the, the book starts with an anecdote of us sort of playing one of these like youth centre shows we used to play in some classic sort of like Ricky Gervais type uh, washed up <laughs> musician came in afterwards. Yeah. He was probably the sound guy or something and said we'd never make it because we were too too niche. And in fact, actually, he was so completely wrong because being niche was actually what ended up being our biggest asset because it was like it allowed us to, like I said earlier, garner that fan base and create something that people really, really cared about. And um, yeah, I think that's that's more important. It's more important to stand out and do something that you truly love than it is to just try because people people aren't stupid, right? People can sense a lack of, of authenticity. You will have seen it in films. You just know, right? You can tell when the studios had too much to do with it and they're like trying to sort of tick certain boxes. Sometimes it works, most of the time it doesn't. And then when you watch a film, I guess like we're going to discuss, like let the right one in, um, it's, in, like, it's so obvious that that was a passion project by yeah, absolutely. Uh, so many of the people that were involved. So, and that's what, at the end of it, for me as a fan of, just things like art <laughs> um that's what makes stuff worth worth watching and worth consuming 100 percent. i i really respond to something that is very personal very um very strong in someone's individual style as joshua knows <laughs> yeah i like things that you like I extreme could absolutely pinpoint and say mm. oh that is definitely a kubrick or that is definitely yeah. a robert eggers or even you know the music i listen to kiss alice cooper you know there's mm. only one alice cooper there's only one kiss there might be multiple members but there is a kiss sound and if yeah. someone comes along and tries to mimic the kiss sound it always just feels derivative of 
kiss and yeah. um, the idea of sort of staying truthful to your creative self is that something that you have found you've been able to do more in inklings because it's just you there's there's not four other guys that you've got to check with i think staying true to your creative self is something that i have wrestled with my entire life as a creator <clears throat> if i'm honest it's part of the reason why i'm writing this book because i think it's really tough i think it's really really hard sometimes to um isolate yourself from what the world thinks the feedback that you get for your art and not let let that affect the output um because i especially in fvk i was and i always have been naturally the more i guess in inverted commas entrepreneurial one the one who was like managing the band day to day and sort of having those conversations making those decisions so i always had this duplicity this kind of like oh i this kind of thing is doing well at the moment and this is the kind of thing that i like and i think sometimes i have succeeded in creating things that i like just because i like it and sometimes i've fallen foul of getting too influenced by what else is out there and what goes on so um so yeah i i i think it's an ongoing battle really for me and i think it probably is for most creative people you're always constantly reassessing your work like oh how you know why am i doing this do i actually love this mm. you know is this good and being your own worst critic in a way so um but yeah it, it definitely i'm a bit of a control freak as well if i'm honest so inklings has been easier to do that because it wasn't a fvk was such a democracy that sometimes you'd end up with well no actually i think ultimately it was our strength but it would be tougher to get to an end result so inklings has definitely been easier it's just um it's just a very different beast because fvk uh was obviously with some of my best friends and you get that kind of camaraderie mm. whereas when you're doing something on your own you don't get that so it swings around about it's like there's there's pros and cons to both um but yeah i wouldn't say that i've neither succeeded or failed it's an ongoing process uh at trying to stay true to my creative self but i'm getting better with age definitely i think just naturally as you get older i, I don't know if you guys feel this yourselves but i care less about what other people think yeah um, definitely and i definitely think that there's a value to kind of going well other people may not like it but i like it and that's enough mm -hmm. yeah absolutely because I think one of my biggest regrets from like looking back over my 20s, so I'm in my early, early 30s now, and was I didn't enjoy these amazing experiences as much as I could have done. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was always worrying about the next thing. And it's a common thing you hear, but it's really tough. It's really tough to live in the moment and try and be like, I'm actually doing something really cool now, whatever it might be. I'm headlining a huge stage at Download. I'm... Uh, touring in the US I'm or some I'm in like Munich in Germany like playing a show like sometimes it's hard to stop and go wow this is actually really cool like I made the right decision not listening to my mates and not going to university yeah I kind of I kind of like it's sort of paying off um just quickly because I don't want to talk about my stuff too much but um we had there's another anecdote that we had that sums this up perfectly and it's in we had this bad experience in FVK with a management company. And um, when, we'd, when we signed with them initially, they were quite a big, big company. And um, 
they gave us this sort of like gold bottle of champagne. Uh, it wasn't made out of gold, but it was like looked like gold, right? But it's you know worth a few hundred quid, and we said we're going to keep this bottle of champagne, and when we've got something really good to celebrate, we're going to pop it open. We never opened that bottle. <laughs> and it's it, it's 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 so wrong because you know we got booked to play Reading Festival. We did so many incredible things, and we never opened the bottle of champagne. Gosh. And we should have opened it about five times over. Even we just more. never felt it was the right one. Yeah, because we never we were like, well, you know, like, is this really a big enough celebration? Like, mm. we were always asking ourselves, like, is this does this warrant opening that shiny bottle of champagne? The answer was yes, it absolutely fish. did. Yeah, there's always a bigger fish. So, where is yeah, that bottle now? My, my thing. Yeah, where is what? it? Where is it? I think it did end up getting opened, but after the uh, I'd left the band, uh, that was probably why. Um, I was <laughs> they didn't open it because <laughs> they opened it because you left. No, it was like a couple of, I think, we don't know, we were talking about it the other day, um, and I think it was because it was left in our old flat, like a couple of the guys as they were moving out just polished it off, <laughs> like, you know what I mean, so I think it got drunk because, you know, we wouldn't want it to go to waste, but it didn't uh, get used. In I the can't tell if that's a happier or a sad ending. Yeah, I don't know, well, yeah. I guess maybe like, it's like, well, we placed too much value on it, so we may as well just get rid of it, sort of for no yeah, reason whatsoever. Yeah, it's weird, so yeah, I think... Um, I think, yeah, there's been, I think my advice to anyone who's doing stuff is just enjoy it. There's no point if you don't enjoy it. Is the book autobiographical or is it fiction? Uh, it is prescriptive nonfiction, I think they'd call it in, in, in the business. So it's a nonfiction book. Um, it's not autobiographical because I haven't lived enough yet, I don't think, to warrant <laughs> to warrant that. Um, but it is definitely kind of what I was just touching on, like... I'm still writing it, so it's not anywhere near out yet. But um, it's really about obsession. So it's about obsession and um, the the role that's played in my life and the role that that's played in the lives of people that I have kind of touched um, with my with whatever I've produced, whether it might be music or or at the moment condiments as well, because I obviously have a source business. So it's weird, like you know, the company's called Condomaniac. So it's not just about seems to be a thread in my life it's not just about kind of being the you know going to the supermarket and picking up some Heinz tomato ketchup it's about people that are a bit weird like me and love condiments like that's the best <laughs> bit of any meal so yeah that's wrong uh, <laughs> yeah that love, is love made up ketchup is ketchup? ketchup is my thing yeah ketchup on like ketchup everything yes ketchup on curry cereal well, you name it everything nice but... <laughs> <laughs> most things yeah no like like Ketchup always on pizza, like, always on I mean, pizza, on always on the roast dinner as always well. On pizza. I oh used no! To, now you're going too far. I, uh, I actually used to take the mick out of um, Drew, who was um, FEK's bassist, because he uh, used to eat all of his food dry. He oh. used to do my head in, like he was like an anti-sauce person. He'd like boil some potatoes. <laughs> He's the anti-you, like, things like that. And he was like, "Oh wow, how do you eat that without sauce?" Whereas I'm the other end of the scale. Like, For me. Everything tastes like ketchup. And the difference is the different textures that the different foods will bring to it. <laughs> ketchup yeah. is the base and then all the other food around it is just to support the ketchup. Yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and ketchup looks like blood. Segway, Segway. Let the right one uh, in. <laughs> nice, look. There let you the go. Right ketchup in. Ketchup is blood. Joshua, give us a lowdown on <laughs> let the right one in. 
It's about bully 12-year-old Oscar, played by Cora Haderbrandt, who is alone living in an apartment complex in a small Stockholm uh, suburb. When he meets his enigmatic new neighbour, Ely, played by Lena Leanderson, he is instantly taken with her. But with locals dying by the hand of Ellie, is it Ellie or Ellie? I can't remember. Eli. Her carer, Hawkan, played by Per Ragnar, uh, and Ellie's beha- odd behaviour only getting stranger, Oscar starts to wonder if she's hiding a dark secret. Mm. Kier, had you seen this before? I think you mentioned it earlier. Had you seen it before? Yes, I had seen it before, but it's been quite a few years, so I obviously gave it a rewatch, and mm. it was a lot of fun. A lot of it fun. It is fun. Yeah, it's it's a very sparse kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I was actually like, as I said that, I was like, fun is the wrong word. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it was enjoyable, but fun, yeah, maybe not so much fun, because it's, yeah. uh, you're right with sparse, it's definitely got that Scandi vibe, hasn't it, where everything is at one pace, and there's a lot of yeah. silence, and there's a lot of room. Um, which is cool. so much silence that actually I thought my DVD was broken because the opening credits it's total silence mm. and I was like the sound's not working the sound's not working and then <laughs> you hear the guy the kid saying squeal like a pig and you're like oh okay it's fine, oh, it's yeah, fine. I have that beat the tension. I turn the Blu-ray player on and it gives you an option to either choose from the um, the USB port or the disk drive part of it so I'm clicking on the remote control for the disc part and I'm like why is it not working oh god am I going to have to rent this film I've bought it on DVD and I realised I didn't even put the disc in (laughs) you're just so keen I'm approaching 40 this happens this happens why Um, I surprisingly for me I can't remember when I first saw this I can't remember if I first saw it in the cinema or if I saw it on DVD but it is definitely one of one one of those that I absolutely love vampire stuff doesn't always work with me. Um, Mm. But this, this is one of those horror films that is made in a way that I really respond to where even if you took out the horror elements, the core story will still work. It's still a story Mm. about friendship and uh, sort of, I think trickery and then, uh, a moral conversation mm. around violence it just so happens to feature a little bit of blood sucking well that's what i was i was saying earlier actually when i was discussing it with my other half trying to make sure i didn't sound like a complete plonker when i came on here <laughs> that's my um, that's my job <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh it uh it's almost not a horror it is a horror but like there's very few horror elements to it other than the subject matter really like it's kind of sparse like you say and it's got this sort of tension it's kind of got almost thrillery aspects to it in a way because you know something's happening and you're waiting for it to mm. be exposed but um but yeah it's not a classic kind of jump scary sort of like slow tension like scratching fingernails on blackboards kind of horror in yeah. that, that sort of sense it's very like tense well, do you think it would be less of a horror film if we didn't have all the little sort of interludes checking in with all the, the older locals? Because all the mm. horror stuff is mostly concentrated in sort of the overt, sort of very typically horror stuff is more concentrated on those guys. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, they're, they're the people that you know are going to 
be the victims to yeah. some degree. So you're like, you're like, oh no, what's going to happen to that? Oh no, yeah. she's walking home. Oh god. Do yeah. Oh, and then like, it's like yeah, that. That's the classic. You're right. Right there, the classic horror element. Like, don't go into the basement. That's a silly idea. <laughs> yeah. I like but, open the open the curtains. <laughs> Like suddenly yeah, she's yeah. on fire that's just that's so, she such knew. a great moment she knew yeah she knew what was going to happen and she didn't even have to say oh whatever whatever scandy is you know i am a vampire i don't know i don't speak the language you you know it more than yeah, me, Joshua. but it's i think the word vampire only happened it's only get uttered once and that's towards the end mm. it's not like yeah when he's looking yeah. at her through the door yeah but there's not like there's you know this isn't this isn't Bram Stoker's Dracula directed by Francis Ford Coppola where everything's a shadow, mm. everything's a blue moment. It's a... I mean, there's barely any dialogue in it and it, it's not a case of, sort yeah. of, of the town folk going, oh, it's a full moon. There's going to be a vampire. It's basically a oh. case of, look how fucked our socialist lives are i'm having to wear the shittest cardigan in the world i haven't got time to worry about vampires there's no room in their life for suspicion yeah yeah Yeah. i mean they're too busy down the golden sun getting pissed (laughs) yeah it looks pretty good to be fair but um it's uh i know there's so much to it as well i mean i'd argue it's what as much a sort of it's a bit of a love story as well obviously it's a coming of age story as well like about confidence for me the most the most important thing is um oscar isn't it yeah yeah the main boy his character like finding his confidence through this girl because obviously that's the main thing isn't he's getting bullied and she sort of opens him up and that you know that comes from like that's rom-com territory or something like (laughs) that that's the kind of plot like device that they would use in films like that but it's in this really weird bleak mm. setting and it's much less triumphant than the classic sort of like getting thrown into a locker in an american sort of yeah. high school thing <laughs> that's that's <laughs> actually like... a really good point there it, it it does in in that respect it does sort of follow the sort of she's gotta have it teen coming of age trope where you've got the quiet usually a girl and usually it's freddie prince jr being the one who brings mm. it out of her <laughs> but yeah. here it's it's the yeah. other way around i i would actually argue that it's not a love story it's an unrequited love story mm. because i think mm. i yeah. think oscar falls for eli but i don't think eli has any intention for oscar other than what he eventually becomes at the end of the film I I think Absolutely. I think that she's you know this ain't her first time at the rodeo. She may look 12, yeah. but she's been 12 for a long time. So yeah. Could it be mm. considered that this isn't the first time she's tricked a child into mm. coming with her for the Absolutely. rest, well, rest that's... of her life or his life rather. Yeah. Well that's mm. why I think the film the film for me had such a huge impact the ending in particular this time watching it um, because it's such a bittersweet tragedy I think you know he's on the train 
and he looks relaxed and confident and happy for basically the first time in the film yeah. with his sort of, you know, friend in a box on the train. And it's sort of this kind of uplifting seeming ending, but actually, oh boy, you're fucked. You know, you're now basically the sidekick to a vampire and you're yeah. going to end up exactly the way we saw Hawkeye at the beginning yeah. of the film, killing for her to eat. Mm-hmm. That's very true, actually. I, I'd kind of like... I, I got that sense throughout the film, but then because like, because we actually looked up what he wrote with Morse code, and I think it's Kiss. He he writes yeah. it on the box, box, isn't he? In his with his finger. Um, so, so yeah, it's like like yeah, definitely. I think that unrequited thing, and she's manipulating him. Have you have you guys read the book? I mean, I haven't, but no, no, but I know I know a few bits and bobs about the book that can explain certain elements in the film um mm. and i don't know if i i mean I, I probably should say shouldn't i um in the book she actually started off as a boy called elias who yeah yeah was castrated and stopped going through puberty so he's frozen in this way and that explains that quick shot of her vagina and why it's you know cracked like a like a porcelain cup Scarred. or something um, but I love that it's, I love that in the film, it's, we're not given the backstory. It's just, we have a quick, yeah. a quick flash and then that's it. And it's taken away and it, it, it leaves this ambiguity and it's open mm. to, to interpretation. And it makes it all the more suspicious of what exactly does she want and who is she and what's her motivation. Yeah. Mm. So I've got, I've got a question for you guys because I was discussing mm. this earlier. If I, if this film had been released now... I'd think that a lot of that uh, that kind of her saying that she's not a girl through the thing mm. and him not really caring, which I think is really sweet, would be a um, would be deliberate, like a device, kind of sort of making a having a, like a commentary on being trans or something like that, because obviously Absolutely. it's a very different world now. Do you think that that was their intention when they when they created the film? Do you think they had that kind of thing in mind, or do you think that was just like a of something from the book that was an interesting weird think, element to make the story a bit more weird. If if it was made now, I think if they were going to touch on any trans issues, the ending would have to be completely changed. She would have to be a a redeemed character because they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to get away with creating a trans character who is not the hero of the piece. Mm. It's just it just wouldn't be allowed at the moment, even if it's nuanced. It would have to be very, very clear if it was if this was a Blumhouse production, if this was the same company that did Paranormal Activity or did Get Out, it would have to be, you know, the T's would have to be crossed. The I's would have to be dotted. It would have to be very underlined and Mm. there'd be no ambiguity. That being said, if it was made again over in Europe, Europe can films that come out of Europe tend to be more ambiguous anyway and open mm. to in, mm. you know interpretation so I, I think the film might remain unchanged if it was made in Europe now but if it was an American film there'd be too much worry about any backlash yeah yeah and I think the yeah. film really cleverly plays around with when she says what if I wasn't a girl it, you kind of go oh because she's a vampire but then there is that added layer of the fact that she was sort of um, born biologically male, 
or like that's what we know from reading around it. But yeah, the I mean, vampires are always like a metaphor for something else. So mm. if the metaphor isn't that she's a trans girl, then what what is the metaphor that's kind of at play here? There's always a queer reading yeah. to vampires. Look at Interview with yeah. the Vampire. Tom Cruise yeah. is oh, the yeah. gayest thing in that film. <laughs> There he is. <laughs> so, so queer. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, being trans isn't necessarily about the, the physicality. She's not a trans character. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can remove however many body parts you want. If it's not in the mind. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the she, mind, yeah. Eli in the book probably still identifies as male, but probably more so identifies as vampire, neither here nor there mm. on, on the human scale. She is something completely yeah, different now. Um, I think. I think the themes are there. I just because I just think because it was a completely different time. It was thir- it's going on thirteen, yeah. fourteen years now. It's crazy that this film's yeah, been around changes, that long. Yeah. That that conversation wasn't even happening then. I think. I think potentially a, a you know a six part Netflix TV series or an Amazon series could explore those themes a lot more mm. successfully if they wanted to, and it would be a really positive thing yeah but i don't I'd know if it. it's relevant for this you would watch it <laughs> no i would i think that'd be i think that'd be really interesting if they did kind of explore those kind of themes with a vampire backdrop i think that'd be great but you're right it would be a bit of a minefield you'd have to, to be very very sensitive yeah in the way that you executed it but i think it could be could be super interesting because you could use that kind of like you know almost like different um like you're saying being a vampire as a metaphor for things and stuff like that but in an interesting way rather than a Mm. in a weird way but yeah no i just wanted to ask you guys because i thought because particularly that scene in the bed where he she said you know like i'm not i'm not a girl and she was she said something like is that a problem and he's like i don't care so mm. um uh, and i just thought that was sweet it was really sweet like a really nice moment where he's just like i just like you for who you are i don't care if you're a boy mm. or, or a girl or whatever you are or a vampire <laughs> or well, whatever it might be he's yeah. ahead of the pansexual curve isn't he mm-hmm. yeah yeah but yeah. also, I think that's probably because the the film, for me, in a similar way to A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which we covered earlier in the series, this is sort of a film about loneliness. And he mm. doesn't really care who or what she is. He just wants a friend. Yeah. But, that, but then you kind of go, so does that mean that Oscar isn't necessarily an innocent in this? Like, do you see him as a victim or do you see him as a corrupted innocent? Yeah, what me personally? Or, oh, I mean, or asking it. Yeah, I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, just because the things that the things that I noticed were, yeah, he's sort of bullied, but also he is a, he's kind of a strange kid. Like he has mm. a scrapbook full of stories about real, like newspaper clippings about yes. people who've been killed, and he has a knife, and he has mm-hmm. sort of cutouts of knife adverts. So he has things that are typically seen as sort of quite disturbed, mm. but he is sort of played uh, he's he's portrayed as a victim in the film i think well yeah yeah it, no it, you're right I it mean... does make me think you know from a in a different film or a real life news story he is the sort of if he was american he's the sort of american kid that would be bullied be obsessed with these mm. dark elements of life and then go and shoot a school up yeah mm. yeah. yeah exactly but it just happens that in this film he is the hero He's the one we have to connect with. So we're seeing it from the other side yeah. of the lens. Yeah, it is interesting, yeah. actually. I think that's one of the things that makes it so compelling is the fact that you like don't... 
like you say, you identify the fact that this kid is weird. Like, like he's not like the, the film opens of him like pretending to kill a tree with his knife. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's Skreek. like yeah, it's Squeal, yeah, something grease. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's like he's not nice in that sense. But then you kind of sympathise with him, which is good. I think that's what the the best any kind of long form film or you know or series does is blur those lines between like if they can make you sympathize and then not sympathize and then re-sympathize with a camp character they've done a really good job mm. um but if he wasn't like a lonely bullied kid i don't think that ellie would have um had sort of an in i think that he either wouldn't have noticed her or he wouldn't have sort of fallen under her spell i guess well she would have nothing to yeah. trick him with yeah What's she going to do? Say, Cause... your life is really good, but come with me anyway. I live in a box during the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen my box? Are any of the killings justified? Are any of them justified? Mm, that's a really interesting question, actually. Uh, who <sighs> gets killed? He does. I mean, well, one of them, obviously. The boys at the end. Yeah, that's not very nice. The swimming pool. Um, is that justified? You feel that's justified? Yeah. No. Well, <laughs> that's a tough one because not all of them. I remember actually watching it because I only watched it a couple of nights ago again. And I feel like the guy that was... Okay, it was overkill or whatever way you look at it. But yeah, the guy, the guy that was holding... Um, Connie's brother. Oscar. Yeah, like, like uh, under the water. He was obviously a bad guy. So, yeah. you know, I definitely would have liked to have seen him maimed. <laughs> um, just lightly but made. then yeah but then there was that other kid who was next to it who got killed as well and he's like mm, collateral mm. damage um wasn't he and, and i remember looking at that and being like oh that is and i think that, again they've done it very clever like deliberately it's like if it was maybe and again an american production it would just be like they'd be very very like this guy dies because he's the bad guy and the others yeah. get away because they're not. But this one, there was collateral damage. Like, there was but the she bad does kid spare. She spares the boy the who's one, very yeah. clearly distressed and yeah. is kind of sitting away from crying everybody kid. else. Yeah, yeah. so there's like yeah. the three of them, isn't there? There's like the one... So, and, and that's even worse almost because it makes you like, is she like really bad? How bad is she? Like, because she's mm. killed the bad kid, which you're like, okay, yeah, I can deal with that. I can live with that. <laughs> She's spared the good kid, and you're like, oh, that's a nice thing to do. And then there's the kind of middle kid who's also yeah. been killed, and you're like, oh. Well, the kid who was almost, who kind of led him into the trap, essentially, mm. who set up the mm. trap for him, he does get killed. Mm. It's his and, trainers that we see. Yeah. And then he's dumped at the yeah, other end trainers, of the pool. trainers, that then, whole sequence. Oh, yeah. And then the other trainers. guy, so Connie's brother, he's decapitated and dismembered, and yeah. Connie yeah. is twisted. It looks yeah. like he looks yeah, like elongated tell, when he's yeah, not the nicest pretty, way to die. That I mean, scene is dangerous to go in swimming pools anyway, but especially if there's a vampire in there. Yeah, yeah it would put you off a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that that scene is incredible. I remember watching it the other night and being like, "It's so beautifully done and so cleverly done." Like, um, yeah. well, the shot itself just looks amazing underwater, and then yeah. the way that it's kind of they're dragged around the outside of the pool and you only really see it from that perspective and then you just see the aftermath is just like in my opinion like yeah like the pinnacle of sort of visual filmmaking well, at least yeah because the idea of vampires flying is really ridiculous <laughs> yeah. and like the lost boys 
kind of handles it by having their perspective rather than showing them, you know, at the very mm. beginning that it's them flying over the, the fairground. And I think that this film really cleverly hides the more ridiculous sort of aspects of vampire life. Um, and it just makes it that more horrifying, I think. Yeah, that that's a really that's another interesting point. I love how they deal with vampires in this film. Like mm. you say, we mentioned earlier that there's just they only mention the word vampire once, whatever it might be. And um, but another thing like that, the flying, because she says she flies at another point, doesn't she? And then mm-hmm. you don't actually see her fly. She just says, "Oh, I flew here." And then um, <laughs> another example of a different thing when when she is not invited in and she comes in. Yeah, and she just starts bleeding out of uh. her like various like orifices. Um, it's that is really like shocking yeah. and really cool. I think because I've you know you've seen lots of stuff, you've seen it done all sorts of ways like cheesy. Like they literally do hit like a almost yeah. like a, an invisible barrier to hit an invisible barrier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or they get, or they come in and they get thrown back out or something like yeah. that. And you've seen all that before, but just to see her kind of like that. That was really cool. One of the coolest ways I've seen it done. Like I can come in. So but this did, is what's I didn't happen. know that. I didn't know that about vampires until I saw this film, and uh, I never knew that they had to be invited. Well, does in. that not mean? But did she? Does that not mean that she could end her own life? Technically, she could kill herself if she wanted to, just yeah, by walking into a stranger's house. Maybe. Who knows? But she could end it. <laughs> she could end it all. But she doesn't, want, she doesn't to. want to. She's an animal, so yeah. she all animals have an instinct to survive. So this is her way Hmm. of surviving. So can we even feel hatred towards her for all this trickery? This is just her naturally. Now this is who she is. She's an animal. Mm. She makes animal guttural noises when she's sleeping. She's, you know, when she's feeding, she's making animal guttural noises. When she's hungry, she's making... I mean, we all make animal guttural noises when her we're Her belly hungry. is grumbling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, her eyes are like, big and small, big and small, big and small. Yeah, cat eyes. So can we feel hatred towards her? She's acting in her natural way as a as a vampire. I don't feel, even as a human, I, I think that what my problem is, I don't know what that makes me, but I do <laughs> sympathise with her as a character because she is trying. Like, you could, there's a few things, again... It's a classic yeah. example of them putting you in the audience in this kind of like moral quandary where you're like, oh, you know, do I like them? Do I not? Like there's plenty of scenes where she's like when like the one where she tells him to get out, like cause when she sees when he cuts his hand. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. Um, and like other little bits like that where you're like, like, oh, she's not that bad. She's trying her best mm. to deal with this kind of terrible affliction that she has. But then there's other well, when ones. She, when she kills... Um... Is it Yoke? She kills Yoke under the bridge and she kind of, that's the first time she actually has to kill because Hawkan has like fucked up his killing. And so she kills (laughs) the guy under the bridge and she kind of cries, I think, or she she looks kind of a bit distraught by it. She doesn't like it. Yeah. So there's those. And then there's a couple of moments where you're like, okay, that was a bit, (laughs) maybe Mm. you couldn't have quite, couldn't have, didn't have to go that far. but, (laughs) Um, But I think that the thing that works so well is because the film constantly get quite, forces you to question who is a victim and who is mm-hmm. a um an attacker or you know like a what's the word the assailant you know mm. she's she's both a victim and she's a monster and i think a lot of the characters are both victims and monsters throughout the film yeah and oscar's gonna have to become and definitely the bullies oscar's gonna have yeah. to i mean he's got that darkness in him and she she represents it she's bringing it out to him so he's gonna have to really embrace it fully in order 
mm. to live a life with her because otherwise she, what what does she need him for she won't need him she she has no use for mm. him unless he can go and kill yeah, i'm trying to yeah. think of another example because there's loads of things i've watched that have done that but i'm trying to think there's something at the tip of my brain like another example of a <laughs> of a series that's done that kind of thing. The only thing coming to my mind is The Good Wife, which is really weird. Like, have you ever seen that? The Good Wife? No. It's got vampires it's in it. It's like, no, it's <laughs> not at all. It's, a, it's like a law, law drama um, about a woman who's like married to a sort of this uh, um, governor who like has, is involved in a sex scandal. It's like American mm. trash TV, but it's very... I loved it because I like trash TV too. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of characters in that, that one minute you like, I absolutely hate them. And then mm. a couple of episodes later, you're like, I love these people. Cool. <laughs> like, well, damage, damage has kind of did that. I think quite effectively where you sort of think someone's a victim, but actually they're not. And then you kind of hate Glenn Close, but then maybe she's actually kind of okay. But then oh, actually she's not kept yeah. flipping throughout well, breaking bad did it as well so clever breaking bad that's what yeah, that's breaking what bad thinking. did it and a clockwork that's orange it. you know we love yeah. alex but we hate what he does but he's so charismatic yeah you can't help but mm-hmm. think oh i want to hang out with him yeah yeah because yeah, he's like he's a pretty cool guy but also really not very nice <laughs> really like yeah, breaking bad's the one things and yeah, breaking bad's like the, the the classic one of the modern era really isn't it and Mad Men does mm-hmm. it as well you know, um, yeah, Mad Men, um, like Donald yeah. Draper. Donald Draper, yeah. yeah you just want to be him, but you almost don't want to do what he does, but you do because he's so fucking yeah. cool. He is cool and handsome. I guess Walking well. Dead kind of did it a little bit as well, where it's like it is, yeah. everyone's a victim to the zombies, but also some of the humans are worse than the zombies because yeah. they'll kill someone to survive. True. Before, like, I mean, how, when did, do you guys still watch Walking Dead? I think I stopped after about no. season like four or something. <laughs> I, was just yeah. like, oh, wow. I didn't get that. Far. I watched the what first series on? and thought this seems really cheap. And I never went back. <laughs> I to loved it. the first the thing is, series. I hate I zombies. <laughs> I've never got on with zombies? zombies. No, I don't get much conversation really? out of a zombie. Oh no! Well, that's true. <laughs> that's fair enough. There's not much psychological depth to <laughs> no. a zombie, is there? No, it's true. No, it's true. Um, here's a question. Can the moon emit its own light source? Can the moon? The moon. Mm, is, yeah. is, is this is this a a purely uh, scientific question, or is yeah. that just like yeah, a... scientific question? Like when we look at the moon at night, is it yeah. emitting its own light source? It's no, it's reflecting. Oh no, it reflects the, the sun. Reflects yeah. the sun. So why the fuck Ooh. can vampires yeah. go out at night but not during the day? That's true. That's a really good point, actually. You know, maybe yeah. indirect sunlight. I don't know. Might, <laughs> yeah. All right, now we. <laughs> that was the Buffy knows? rule. <laughs> I don't, I don't the Buffy know. rule was indirect. You, you, sunlight. That's actually a really good plot hole, though. I've never thought of that. I was like, on a really full moon, strong like moonlight. Yeah, that's just sunlight indirect. This is bouncing off the moon. Well, okay, so weird, if it's it? indirect, so surely they can stand yeah. in open shade because then the light is bouncing off the tarmac yeah, or something. Right. So mm-hmm. they should be okay yeah. in. Open should, that's like actually a really good point. I've never thought of that. Mm. <laughs> you know, like so, so yeah, maybe someone should do that. Keir, you used to be a vampire. Did you only go out at night? Ah, did we? Well, actually, that's a common misconception. Fearless vampire killers. We were <laughs> uh, the vampire killers. But there's so always we, we one who's. Like, there's always one who's a secret vampire. Who is a secret <laughs> vampire? Yeah. So I think Lawrence, Lawrence's books. He'll kick me for not knowing because he's written written several books on this. Um, 
Lauren, I think one of them, yeah, I won't want to spoil the, the novels, but one of one of the characters that were our equivalents in the novels was part part vampire at least um as as you as you rightfully put it but yeah we uh, we got that question a lot do are you fearless vampires that kill or are you fearless killers of vampires um, and uh, and we didn't help things because we did paint ourselves or like like put like like white sort of face yeah. paint to make ourselves look kind of gaunt so you know you could be forgiven for thinking that we were vampires because we very much made ourselves look like it but it's a good um, look that wasn't the case it's a good look. Good, yeah, well, I liked it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I would dress I like that like... if I wasn't so 40-year-old Jewish guy looking. <laughs> that was Let the Right One In, directed by Thomas Alfredson, who actually went on to make one of my favourite spy films Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy oh, yes really? yeah Joshua give us a clue as to what's coming up in the next episode um, we're going bye bye be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast Acast and Spotify so you don't miss that episode and we're on Twitter at Tornstubs Pod come let us know what you thought of Let the Right One In uh, Kia where, where can we find you uh, I'm, online I'm mainly just at, <laughs> at Kia Kemp on most most socials i think on all of them so just put kia kemp in there it's spelt the weird way k-i-e-r um not like keir starmer who spells it the right way and uh it's the only thing and he does i don't right. have a law degree yeah <laughs> yeah the only thing that's right um yeah don't get me started on that but yeah keir kemp how can people buy your Brilliant. hot sauce <laughs> which sounds oh, sexier than maniac <laughs> oh yeah that's condomaniac.com if you like if you like weird, weird condiments, then go head over there. I'm going to have a, a lot of them. We are off to make sure we let the right one in. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. And I am Keir Kemp. Cut. <laughs>